I think this is a Netflix movie in the making. <laughs> what would the title be, Lily? La Portada Podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers. I'm not amazingly intelligent, but I'm not a stupid person. Your English is so good. Every time you think, well, this couldn't get any more bizarre and there couldn't be a, a weirder news story, they managed to excel themselves. <gasps> Was that Juan Carlos? Invita a Simon a una pinta de Guinness. I think we've sufficiently lowered the tone. Please <laughs> haven't found the wine. It's because you're better looking than me. ¿Listos? ¡Sí! ¡Vamos allá! Buenos días, buenas tardes y buenas noches. Whenever and wherever you are listening, you are most welcome to La Portada, which is coming to you live on tape from Madrid for this episode five of season three. My name is Simon Hunter. I'm a British journalist based in Madrid and I am not accompanied this week by my co-host Lily Mayers, who is back in her home country of Australia for Christmas already. But fear not, I am here to bring you this mini episode before we take a little podcast break. I will be here talking to you direct into your ears because we love Spain and we want to bring you the best stories, news and interviews from this fantastic country. We wade through all the Spanish news so that you don't have to, which really is quite the service. As usual, first up, a massive thank you to all our supporters on Patreon. We really appreciate your contributions. If you are not already a patron, and seriously, why wouldn't you be? Head to patreon.com forward slash la portada pod and invite us to a relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor. That's all we ask so we can keep the podcast going long term. So head there now and give us a little Christmas present. As a Patreon supporter, you'll get the podcast on Fridays as soon as we've finished editing it instead of Sundays. And of course, you get our bonus content, which we like to call Spanta. This week for the extra content, I speak to Mark Stucklin, who is a Barcelona-based Spanish property expert. He tells me all about what's going on in the property market at the moment and also the experiences that he's had at these sort of really uh, tough times in the market when the um, property boom at the beginning of the century turned into that massive bust uh, and as a very special treat we will be giving all of our listeners one of our previous bonus episodes as a little christmas gift it's the one where we discussed uh, all of our linguistic mistakes while learning spanish so lots of confusion over cajones and cojones and uh, cono and um, well you get the idea also, this week, uh, I interviewed Dean Gallagher, a British-Australian who is volunteering to help rid the Balearic Island of Ibiza of snakes. Uh, I'll be doing a little news roundup, and I will be focusing on just one story. The story, the only story we could possibly look at this week, and that is the ongoing shenanigans in the Constitutional Court and Spain's two Houses of Parliament. Well, it's starting to look very much like Christmas as I speak. The children from the San Ildefonso uh, school are singing out the lottery numbers. Let's uh, listen to them now. 31,350,000. I do hope that your number comes up in the Christmas lottery, but if, like me, you have pretty bad luck in this kind of thing, then it probably won't. But let us not get distracted. Uh, we have a big story to look at 
today. It is the only story uh, we probably need to do a bit of a previously on La Portada uh, roundup before we get going. Um, I had two lovely dinners this week, actually, with my old colleagues from the other place. In fact, one of them, Susanna, was kind enough to uh, give me a mug for Christmas uh, with the, the other place actually written on it. You can check out my Twitter feed uh, at Simon in Madrid for that little beauty. Thank you for that, Susanna. And as we were sitting there chatting, one of my former colleagues uh, just sort of said, what on earth is going on in Spanish politics right now um, with the Constitutional Court? Um, I'm not going to go too much into the background again. If you want to find out why the opposition popular party has been blocking the renewal of the Spanish judiciary for so long, then go back to episode three of season two. It's the one with the Nicky Garcia interview. If you just Google La Portada, Nicky Garcia interview, uh, you should find it pretty easily. I, I went through it in really very close detail there. I sent uh, Lily and Connor off to sleep, but it does answer all the questions. It's worth listening to because it does kind of explain exactly what's going on because this is just such a difficult topic. But I mean, in very general terms, the socialist-led government needs the votes of the Popular Party to approve uh, the new members of the General Council of the Judiciary, uh, the CGPJ, which is Spain's legal watchdog, and also the body that picks Spain's top judges. Now, this hasn't happened. There hasn't been a vote on this um, since 2013, when the PP had a majority in Congress and the Senate. And since then, the PP has been blocking it for a, a whole range of excuses, but mostly just because they basically say that they don't want Sanchez's candidates to be uh, elected onto the CGPJ and and in turn onto the uh, top courts. Uh, also, last week in the podcast, I explained how we got here. So basically, um, the Socialist Party-led government is trying to push through a load of reforms to the criminal code all in one piece of legislation. And it's doing this uh, via an express Away, so it's uh, being subject to uh, less debate in the, uh, the Houses of Parliament, in the Congress, and in the Senate, and that's what the Popular Party um, is uh, opposed to. The most controversial of these reforms, well, actually, I mean, all of them are, are pretty controversial, but the most controversial of these reforms, and the one that has sparked this constitutional crisis, uh, is the plan to break this deadlock. Uh, in the CGPJ uh, and also um, to break the deadlock for the appointment of new judges to the Constitutional Court, which is currently dom dominated by conservative magistrates. And if uh, the central government gets its way, then there would be more progressive judges on the court and it would shift the balance. And that's what the Popular Party uh, objects to. The conservative magistrates on the con Constitutional Court who were appointed in their day by the PP, they are the ones who, for the last five months, have been blocking the appointment of new judges to replace those whose mandate has expired. Now, what the PP did last week was it filed an injunction with the Constitutional Court to try to stop the reforms to the uh, criminal code from actually being debated and voted on in Congress, which, as I said last week, is pretty extraordinary because it's basically the judicial branch encroaching 
um, or so some argue, encroaching on the uh, legislative branch. So the PP requested the injunction because it argued that the amendments had been fast-tracked in Congress and they had not had the chance to properly um, debate them. Now, as it was, the court didn't move fast enough, uh, and this we discussed last week, so that meant that the reforms went through Congress last Thursday, um, the Constitutional Court continued to debate. They debated this for 10 hours on Monday. There were uh, reportedly fierce arguments between the Conservative uh, and, prog and Progressive uh, magistrates on the court. The Conservatives considered the PP's injunction uh, was valid because the amendments could entail a reform to the Constitution itself. Um, while the progressive magistrates were arguing that the meeting was played with irregularities, including the whole urgency of the process itself, because the Constitutional Court is not known for its uh, speedy resolution of cases that it has uh, in its intray. Um, at the meeting on Monday after this 10-hour marathon, the court took the unprecedented step of suspending the uh, vote in the Senate, which was due to take place today, Thursday, uh, December 22nd. So this has sparked this major crisis because basically it's calling into question the separation of powers. And as I said, some are saying it's the judicial branch encroaching on the legislative branch, while others are putting forward arguments saying, no, this is the constitutional court um, uh, doing what it should be doing. And... Um, complying with its function. I mean, this is how complicated it is that no one can even agree whether the court is um, acting as it should be or not at the, at the moment. Pedro Sanchez, the Socialist Party Prime Minister and party leader, he came out and he said, this situation has no precedent in the democratic history of our country, nor in Europe's institutional spaces. Um, before we got to today, there was another uh, meeting of the Constitutional Court yesterday because the Senate uh, presented a written appeal against what's going on um, and even the public prosecutor uh, from the Constitutional Court uh, presented an appeal as well. The prosecutor called for two of the judges on the Constitutional Court, Pedro González Trevijano and Antonio Narraez, um, it called on them to recuse themselves from this process because they are basically... Uh, two of the judges whose mandates have expired and they are having a say on questions that relate to their very future on the court. Um, uh, Podemos, the uh, leftist um, party and the junior partner in the uh, government also called for them to recuse themselves. Um, these uh, magistrates were appointed by the uh, PP Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy in June 2013, and their mandate expired in June of this year. So again, I mean, this, this meeting on Wednesday, it was it was an urgent meeting. I, I, this court has never moved so quickly. Their heads must be spinning. Um, they examined the appeals and they rejected them. Again, thanks to the votes from the Conservative magistrates. That means that definitively, the vote, the debate and the vote cannot go ahead in the Senate. The, the court also ruled that these two magistrates um, should not be recused, uh, meaning uh, that uh, González Trevijano and Narváez are still pass participating 
in this process that, that directly affects their own futures. So what does this mean for the court? Well, until the new magistrates are appointed, whenever that may be, they're going to wait to issue rulings on some of the cases they've got on the table. I mean, that includes some laws that were passed by the current government, but unbelievably, also some laws such as the abortion law that date back to 2010. What on earth have these magistrates been doing for 12 years for that, that process to take so long? Uh, it's it's unbelievable. And in the meantime, of course, the duelling between the PSOE, the Socialist Party, and the main opposition popular party continues. Um I mean, Pedro Sanchez, he pretty much wiped the floor in the Senate with uh, Alberto Núñez Feijó on Wednesday um, when they were debating head-to-head. Feijó, of course, the new leader of the um, Popular Party. They have to debate in the Senate because um, Feijó is not a deputy, um, so he can't debate with uh, Sanchez in in Congress. Um, But Feijó, I mean, he was was there once again. He's arguing that the PP is the Constitutionalist Party. Um, But that's, I mean, he left a bit of an open goal there for Sanchez because Sanchez can just come back and say, well, okay, the Constitution says that the magistrates have a nine-month mandate um, and we have to vote on a new one. But it turns out you, uh, the popular party, only abide by the constitution if the candidates are conservative. If you're, you know, if you're happy with them, and this has been the problem that the two parties just cannot decide on candidates. Um, they, they came close recently, but then uh, Fejo pulled out at the last minute. A pesar de que intenten que el Parlamento no hable, ya les garantizo yo que el Parlamento va a hablar y va a hablar claro y alto. Su gobierno está en llamas, se lo digo desde hace tiempo. Pero, por favor, no se puede permitir reducir a cenizas la arquitectura democrática e institucional de España que nos ha costado 40 años en fortalecer. Fejo's strategy since he became leader of the PP, I mean, he started out trying to attack Sánchez over the Spanish economy, but that's actually going pretty well, uh, which is why some commentators think that he's changed tack and now he's gone for this... Uh, for this approach, and of course, he you know trotted out some familiar um, some familiar arguments from the PP in the uh, debate. He re- returned to questions of uh, over the legitimacy of the government, attacked them for doing deals with the pro-independence parties in in Catalonia. But probably the best moment was uh, Sanchez's full-on irony mode when he said to Fejo, "Didn't you know that I am a tyrant who is obsessed with putting a Bolivarian republic in place?" Ya saben ustedes, señoría, y si no les informo que yo soy un tirano y que mi única obsesión es instaurar la República Bolivariana en España. Silencio, señorías. Pero sucede que Basically este... just turning around their arguments against him um, back to the PP. So, um, as we've discussed in previous episodes, if you know, Sanchez obviously looked like he was trying to get all of this business done and dusted, let's get it all out of the way before the end of the year, enter the new year with this all done, um, get ready for the elections that we've got coming up. Um, but of course, because of the manoeuvring of the PP, and more importantly, because of the manoeuvring of the Conservative magistrates on the Constitutional Court, that's not been possible. And as a side note, just to add, a bit of more instability to the current um, panorama. Police unions met this week with the PP and then subsequent, subsequently walked out of the meeting um, organising protests against the government um, because of their plan to reform the so-called gag law. Uh, a good friend from mine, a good friend of mine from Mexico, pointed out that that 
you know, really does make all of this start to look very much like a coup, uh, which is a word that has been banded around a lot lately. And there is now a chance that the parties who support the government will simply table a new bill in Parliament that does exactly the same thing as these controversial amendments, i.e. change the way that the votes happen to break the deadlock in the in the uh, judiciary, but it wouldn't be on the same fast track basis. And so it wouldn't be open to the kind of mm, filibustering that we're seeing from the um, from the popular party now. So it could turn out to be something of a pyrrhic victory for the PP because, I mean, it might just end, in, end up happening anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're going to go into the new year with a lot more legal and political uh, wrangling as we head toward the local and regional elections first in the spring. And then, of course, the general election at the end of 2023. All right, well, this week for our interview, I caught up with Dean Gallagher, a resident of Ibiza who juggles a few different jobs with uh, volunteer work. Now, this is about as far as you can get from the idea of um, Ibiza as like a party island. Uh, instead, Dean is often uh, to be found out and about helping people who have come a cropper in some of the more sort of inhospitable, hilly areas of the island. And in particular, he's working to combat an invasion of snakes. Now, the vehicle he has been using for all of this altruistic work recently broke down. So he started a campaign to raise funds to get himself back on the road. So let's hear from Dean. All right, well, welcome, Dean, to La Portada. Now, as I understand it, you are a British-Australian teacher and property manager, but you are also a volunteer uh, helping the island with its snake problem, which, as I understand it, could be summed up as lizards or snakes. So let's start by, um, if you could explain to us, how did this situation come about on, on the island of Ibiza? Well, it's been developing over the last... 10 years, possibly more. Uh, the island has always been free of snakes. That's what it's famous for. According to legends, the, the goddess Tanit rid of the island of all the snakes back before the times of the Phoenicians. And there's never been any snakes um, on the island until the last 10 years it started appearing by surprise in different places in rural areas. And much to the surprise and shock of the local residents. And so I'd been, I'd been hearing rumours that there were snakes around, and I was kind of curious to see if it was true, and went to all the usual places that I thought I could find them and couldn't see them anywhere, until one day um, I was at a villa I was looking after and then heard a cat in the garden, um, clearly distressed, that uh, was embroiled in a in a battle with a snake that had bitten it on its neck and it wrapped itself around the cat and it was a right mess so I, I very carefully detached the snake from the from the cat and the cat was <clears throat> managed to get away um, with a few injuries and then the snake slivered off uh, I didn't attempt to pick it up at the time because I didn't know if it was venomous or not and then it's when I called the Conseil de Vifa the local government and then asked them um, what was going on uh, and what type of snake it was and they told me not to worry um, it's a colubrid European colubrid snake which 
um, this species was venom, didn't have any venom, so there's nothing to worry about. Just let, let it go on its way, and if it reappeared, then they would try and organise a trap, and that's that's how it started. What me getting involved, and then after that, <clears throat> um, speaking to different people that had seen snakes and doing some research, we realised that we had an invasive snake problem here in Ibiza. And as I understand it, this came from the importation of olive trees onto the island, and that's where the snake. Well, there were uh, was it was there actual snakes in those trees, or was it eggs, or both? We believe it was both. I've spoken to several different biologists and experts on this matter, and yeah, they believe it's a combination of both. Uh, these olive trees have come from the mainland, different places, Castellón southern andalusia anywhere where there was perfect climate for an olive tree to grow and of course they're taking them out the ground the ground and and you know traditionally all these trees have always been dwellings for all sorts of creatures and snakes is perfect because of all the holes that go into the trunk and sort of dark spots and safety for them to lay their eggs so they've pulled these trees out and brought them over on trucks straight onto the properties of the landowner and of course um as the temperature rate um had gone up first the snakes come out of hibernation and started uh, populating the islands and then reproducing and of course they re- reproduce in exponential numbers and like rabbits they hmm. they very very quickly establish a very solid firm population around the north of the islands especially and and what kind of lizards are we talking about and and what is the problem of the sort of coexistence of the snakes and the lizards is the are the snakes eating the lizards pushing them out of their habitat what what exactly is going on the the main problem is is the wall lizard it's it's a green lizard that's um i think the problem is the lizard is too trusting and obviously it's never seen a snake before and something is wrong where they they don't react quick enough when when they see a snake and move to safety um what i've seen happen quite often there's been lizards on the walls that's their habitat like rocky walls and uh, cliff faces and things they'll see a snake and they'll look at it and watch it and by the time they've worked out that it's actually dangerous the snake has gobbled up basically mm. and you know they're, they're get, <clears throat> getting through hundreds of them and and then they have the other type of lizard, which is like the um, the Moorish gecko. But they're, the Moorish gecko are quicker, and they they're able to get up to walls and ceilings and suspend themselves off the you know from ceilings with the little tiny thousands of hairs they've got on their on their little um, pads on their feet. So they they they're safe. They can get away from. But they they're still being gobbled up as well by the snake. But the one that's in serious problem is the. Um, is a green wall lizard, the Ibiza wall lizard, and they're mm. endemic to the islands. You know, I've had people come up to me and say, "Why are you messing with nature? If, if snakes have come here and it's part of evolution, just let them let nature take us take its course." And I said, "Well, it's not natural. What's happened?" Mm. And you know, this is um, this is not me playing, trying to play God or or anyone else for that matter. This is simply trying to protect the species that have mm. existed here since the beginning of time. Um, and now they're close to extinction. We should be doing something about it. And and so, what's your experience with snakes? I mean, how do you know how to handle snakes? Is this from when you 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 grew up in Australia? I believe the um, 
experience with them, well, my real experience with them didn't uh, actually come about until I started learning more about them in Ibiza. Um, mm. I, 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 you know, made me it made me feel quite at home actually in a way um, that I'm, you know on an island with a similar climate to Australia, except the summers are a little bit more constant here and you know. Um, the sort of stark dryish landscape in the summer with the pine trees and then the eucalyptus and then <clears throat> you know the the arid landscape in the summer that made me feel quite at home here in Ibiza you know so it's very similar to Australia in, in so many ways and then to have different species of reptiles around and things um, so yeah I mean I was fascinated and um, I wouldn't want to ever do any harm to a snake mm. um, and I never did in Australia even you know we we just relocate the snake <clears throat> very very carefully. In fact, it's completely against the recommendations of the local authorities in Australia that you mess with snakes. Mm-hmm. They have you know proper snake handlers that deal with um, snakes that invade properties or go into people's basements or whatever. They'll send a snake handler around and they'll deal with it. But they relocate them. It's completely illegal um, to to do any harm to a snake in Australia because it's so important to the ecology. Mm. The ecosystem. The problem is on the opposite side here. Um, the the invasive creatures in Australia are the the mice and the rabbits. Here they are snakes from mm. the mainland because um, they don't belong here. They never were here, and of course they are invasive species, and therefore they need to be dealt with. Um. And when I first started dealing with them, we had to sacrifice snakes as well. It broke my heart. It really did. But mm. it's, there's no other option. So how does your volunteering work? Someone calls you up and say, oh, okay, yeah, we've got, we've got snakes in the house. And you, from what I understand it, you're traveling to sort of, you know, quite it, it, difficult to access mountainous areas to, and, mm. and, and go and collect them. Is that, is that how it works? At the very beginning, a few years ago, when I started to get more and more involved in this and, you know, more interested and discovering as well that I was able to handle snakes properly by keeping them calm and, and also keeping people calm just giving them some reassurance and education. Uh, so I got in contact with the Friends of the Earth in, on the island called Amics de la Terra in Catalan. And they were very happy for me to be involved. And they had a campaign along with Instituto de Estudios Ibisenks, uh, which is an organization which promotes uh, Ibiza, the culture, the language. And they started a campaign as well. Uh, they worked together in the beginning and then I got involved and I said, look, I'm here to help. If you've got people that need help um, with this, then um, give me a call. And of course, you know, from my previous jobs that I've done, including in London, I've been a, I've been a doorman. I've been a first aider. I've done all, all sorts of jobs where, you know, go to help people, calm mm. people down, and things. Mm. So um, they, all these sort of skills that come in incorporated with what you know I've offered as a volunteer, and. And, you know, as, as a, a natural kind of altruistic person, it enjoyed doing it. I, lo- I, you know, I loved going out to see people in remote areas. And um, quite often, you know, there'd be foreign uh, villa owners, British, lot, lots of Brit- Brit- British people. And of course, they've, lots of people have never seen a snake before and absolutely terrified. And they don't know if it's dangerous, it's deadly, it's venomous or it's not, um, you know. And I went there with, with the skills and the information, and uh, I just said, "Look, don't worry. It's not it's not dangerous for people, but it is it's bad news for the lizards, and this is why we need to deal with them." And then, um, yeah, the contacts is built up and built up, and then through various social media, 
contacts, people would um, ask for help. And there is a, a government organization, there's COFIB, which is the Gobern Baliar, and they have permanent employees dealing with this. And in fact, they install thousands of traps and they've mm. got two or three, I think, I believe it's three full-time employees which uh, which are dealing with this, but it's it's not enough. Yeah. Um, so they rely a lot on on volunteers going up to all these different places. I've been using my vehicle, and uh, in the process, it's got quite damaged, and and the clutch had, uh, got terribly damaged as well, and had to send it to the garage. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your fundraising efforts because you've set up a GoFundMe page. So, what is it exactly you uh, need the money for, and what's your what's your target to raise? Um, the, the the priority. There's 1,995 euros to fix the clutch. Um, it is a slightly older uh, <clears throat> Land Rover Friedlander 2, and it wasn't uh, designed for this purpose, but I obviously uh, can't take my scooter up these rocky tracks and mm. ravines and cliff-facing houses sometimes. It's just too too dangerous on a scooter, so I've had to take the, I take the car. So I started uh, the GoFundMe page uh, on a recommendation of uh, somebody else who's done similar campaigns. And uh, at the beginning, yeah, it, it got a lot of interest. Um, I posted it on um, maybe for winter residents and the people have been very, very generous. And every, there's not been one person that turned around and said anything negative. They said, we complete support what you're doing. And we're so really sorry that you've had to go to this expense. Um, it's not right, and maybe the government should come forward. So that was the other um, the direction I was looking at as contacting the government. But then um, people I spoke to in, the, in various charities have said, forget it, they will not um, entertain you with this. They'll argue that you know they already have full-time people on this, and if you've chosen to use your own vehicle, then um, that's unfortunate. But uh, they distance themselves a little bit as well from what charities do. They do contribute towards charities, um, including Amix de la Terra, and they're, they're limited, but they you know, they, they wouldn't turn around to help you with this, we're pretty sure. So, um, and that's why I started the GoFundMe. And, and uh, um, so far I've raised 655 euros, which mm. is a little bit off, well, it's quite far off the target. You know, I'm, I'm happy to to help people in all sorts of situations and uh and it's not just going up sort of mountainy um rocky caminos it's 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 also um elderly people who live quite isolated and they can't get down to the supermarket to buy large amounts of water so i've been doing that for them as well i'm passing their house anyway Mm. um or going to deal with a snake for them and i you know i put um 10 litres or 12 litres, 15 litres of water, drinking water for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they appreciate it. And so it's a bit like, you know, it's been helping a community out as well with all sorts of things. Well, you sound like a genuine guardian angel on the island of Ibiza, uh, <laughs> Dean. It's brilliant. Really, really super interesting stuff. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with your fundraising. We'll include your um, GoFundMe page uh, when we put out the episode. But if anyone wants to go and Google it now, if you go uh, Google GoFundMe and then Vehicle for Volunteering Catching Snakes in Ibiza uh, or Google um, GoFundMe and Dean Gallagher and you will find the page. And I encourage you all to uh, give Dean an early Christmas present 
present and contribute to the fund. So best of luck, Dean. Best of luck with those snakes. Don't let them bite you as much as you possibly can. And uh, yeah, no um, we shall we shall keep in touch. Thank you very much. Right, well, I don't use this word lightly, but that guy's a total legend. It's really lovely to hear how he dedicates so much time to helping people. Uh, yeah, and obviously I encourage you to go and find his GoFundMe page and bung him some cash so he can get back on the road. All right, well, all that is left now is our news roundup. Miguel Ricard, who was convicted for the rape and murder of three teenagers from the Valencian municipality of Alcácer, was arrested in a Barcelona drug den on Tuesday. Ricard was given 170 years in prison back in 1997 for the kidnap, torture, rape and murder of Miriam García, María Deseada Hernández and Antonia Gómez. Ricard was released in 2013, however, after his sentence was reduced. Since then, he has been living in Córdoba, Barcelona and Madrid. Last year, he was arrested in a squat in the Spanish capital when he was allegedly about to buy narcotics. The Alcazar murders rocked Spain in the 1990s and were recently revisited in a Netflix documentary of the same name that brings up once more the unanswered questions of the case. It's not exactly festive viewing, but I really recommend you go and check that out if you haven't seen it already. Spain this year registered an average temperature of 15.3 degrees C, making it the warmest year in more than a century. What's more, this year has also been a dry one, with 509 litres of rainfall per square metre over the year, compared to the average of 608. That's 16% less. More than 10 episodes of high temperatures have been recorded this year, with 30 days registering new records for heat. That's six times more than would be expected if the climate were not changing. Unusually mild temperatures are also forecast over the seasonal holiday in Spain, meaning that there is no chance of a white Christmas, not even in the Pyrenees. And finally, victims of the ongoing driving licence debacle are facing Christmas without being able to get back on the roads, as the final deal between the UK and Spain over document exchange is yet to become a reality. Having already suffered the summer without legal use of their vehicles, victims of this situation now face the Christmas holiday with no change in the situation. And what's more, they are approaching their eighth full month of the ban. The British ambassador to Spain gave a video update this week, but until the deal is published in the official State Gazette, victims of the situation will have to continue to be patient. Alright, well let's wrap it up there then. That was episode 5 and the last in season 3. Thank you so much for listening this year. It's been an absolute blast putting the podcast together and great to get your feedback as we've been going along. This episode was recorded on December the 22nd in the city of Madrid. Your host was me, Simon Hunter, this week without my co-host Lily Mayers and my armchair pundit Connor Doyle, who are both off on a jolly 
family in Australia. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Simon in Madrid, with Lily at Lily Mayers, or via our socials, which are all at La Portada Pod. If you prefer old-fashioned email, the address is laportadapod at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review on your podcast provider, and give us some money on Patreon. Just enough for... Relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor. We're not asking much. Have a great Christmas and a very happy new year. Hasta el año que viene. Thank you.